1: I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and currently very
2: overwhelmed. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, and sleepy AF. How sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> very sleepy. I was re- felt really bad trying not to yawn on camera. Oh, you
1: can cover your mouth, uh, your hand.
2: And just pretend I'm burping. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Except I'll see you do that, and then I'll start burping.
2: <laughs> Why are you overwhelmed?
1: Uh, let me list the ways. So. <laughs> I'm going through a, a very intense time in my life where in the next couple of weeks, it, we, we were delayed, right? So today we're recording on January 28th. January 28th. So January 28th. On February 5th, I'm moving into a house, which is very exciting, but comes with packing up an apartment I've been in for seven and a half years, plus all of like the things you have to get done to like move into a house, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. On February 10th, I'm having major knee surgery. And on February 1st, I'm launching a Substack. <laughs> so nothing new to happening.
2: Yeah. Oh, my God. So it's a
1: lot. And on top of like, I have to write a book this year. I have to do this podcast. I have to do other career obligations. My current book is coming out in April. So all the wonderful and exciting but uh, overwhelming things I have to do to prepare for that. But I did something really thrilling for me yesterday, which was I realized because I'm also in graduate school. And I'm taking two classes and I realized, Allison, you can't do this. You are you are <laughs> heading fast and hard to a major burnout breakdown. Mm-hmm. And so one of my classes was a research method class that I absolutely hate and is way too hard. Uh, the hardest class I've taken in the program. And so I decided to withdraw from it.
2: Yeah, you can quit. You can always <laughs> quit. <laughs>
1: But like, it's so wild because in the past, I would never have let myself do that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Or I would have waited until the breakdown happened to quit. Correct. Whereas this time I went, oh, if I do this, this will be bad. Let me just quit and just take the loss of that. I'm going to have to take this class at another time. Take the financial loss of, you know, they'll only give me a 25% refund. And just like, I just couldn't do it.
2: (laughs) I think that there's something celebrated and people have a lot of pride in overextending themselves and you don't need to. No, I don't want to. I have no interest in that. Yeah. And like people, I think, invent things where they go, well, I have to. I'm so underwater with all the things I have to do and I'm so stressed and I'm so whatever. But like half of them, you can just you could just learn to be like, no.
1: Yeah. I don't need to do it right now. You know?
2: Yeah. It's hard. That's a hard lesson. Totally. You
1: know, like if I complete this degree, I'm still going to have to take that class at some point. But maybe it will be mm-hmm. a better time. Or maybe a, who knows if I complete the degree? Like I just know that, like for taking care of myself right now, I couldn't do it, or I could have done it, but it wouldn't have been worth it. I think that's the big thing. Mm-hmm. Is like what is worth it? And when I was just like looking at my life, I was like, the stress that this research class is bringing to me <laughs> is just categorically not worth it.
2: Yeah. I love that. Good for you. I mean, it sucks. The financial loss sucks. Yeah. But like, if anybody listening has a similar thing, you just got away the pros and cons. And like, if one of the pros is like, I have to and I'm like, you know, this is how how is this going to look to people or something like that? Get rid of that. That's not a pro. That's a con, actually.
1: Yeah. Uh, You know, my whole relationship with graduate school has been so complicated, you know, because it's important to me, but it's also not my priority. And figuring out how to Mm. how what level to allow it into my life has been a learning curve. Mm -hmm. But anyway, this is just between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games and brutal honesty.
2: This week on the show, we're going to be asking Dolly Gisette some tough questions about sexological bodywork. This is a really, really cool interview. We just did it. So I'm excited to get to the interview. Yeah.
1: I feel like I should mention my Substack just in a so, look. I'm being more like you, Gabby. I'm self promoting, even Yay! though I'm so uncomfortable. Hey.
2: <laughs> <clears throat> promote it, promote <laughs> it.
1: So, as of the time of this podcast, I will have launched Emotional Support Lady as a Substack. And while I had had a Patreon, one of the big differences with the Substack is that now, Some of the content, um, the weekly blog in particular, is going to be free for everybody. So you can sign up and you don't even have to pay a monthly subscription just to get access to that weekly blog. And then if you want access to all of the content on the Substack, it's just $5 a month. And with that, you will also get a podcast that I'm doing with JBU's very own Melissa is producing it for me. I'm so excited about this podcast that will be every other Thursday And I will also be doing a written advice column so you can write in your questions to ESL Substack at gmail.com and um, I will answer your questions. And also what I think is so cool about the emotional support community is that other people will, you know, kind of like chip in too and, and give their thoughts and their experiences and share similar stories. And so in addition to like me sharing my content on the Substack, it's also really community focused and that we're all kind of, you know, the support is flowing many ways. So if you're interested, please sign up. I'm embarrassed to have made this announcement.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Why? What do you think the point of us, like, being able to talk directly to the people is? Like, of course, the people that listen to this want to know that. That's information they would like to hear.
1: Okay, thank you. I like that reframe. I appreciate it.
2: <laughs> yeah, you're letting them know a thing that they're delighted to know.
1: Oh, I okay, thank you.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: And later in today's episode, we'll be talking all about moving. We've all gone through some moves recently, and it brings up, you know, a lot of emotions. So what is the moving process like? But first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means.
3: Hit it! International question. International question, international question.
2: Sophie, location unknown. Wow, location unknown.
1: <laughs> I would read or watch anything named that. I find that to be a very intriguing phrase.
2: Location unknown. It would be like a travel show where they drop you something. They blindfold you. Ooh. They bring you to a location and then you got to A, figure out where you are and B, have a good time. <laughs>
1: It would be more stressful for me to have to have a good time than to figure out where I am.
2: Because you could just go, hey, to the nearest person. If you get off the plane, where am I? I guess they would have to keep you blindfolded until we'll workshop this.
1: It's not fully formed
2: yet. Okay,
4: yeah, 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 yeah.
2: (laughs) So Sophie
1: says, hello, Allison and Gabby. Oh, my gosh. She says where she's from. All of this was a lie.
2: Oh, no, she does. I I just didn't put it in the
1: right part of the outline of the episode. Oh, my God. Sophie is from Argentina, and we really appreciate it. So Sophie says, is it normal to always fall for broken people? Hello, Allison and Gabby. I'm Sophie from Argentina. I find myself always drawn to people who are, to a certain extent, broken inside. I think it was because I thought they could understand the mess I am. But is this normal? Should I stop myself from doing it? Love, Sophie.
2: I love a short. We've never had a short email in our whole lives. (laughs) Well, let's define broken. What do, what do you mean by broken?
1: Yeah, so that's what really stood out for me, right? Because there's so many different things. There's one thing where somebody has been through really tough times and they have healed from it and they have processed it. Mm-hmm. But having gone through that experience, they have maybe more empathy and are maybe better able to understand whatever it is that you particularly have gone through. Mm-hmm. Then there's somebody who's gone through hard times and is still in the process of processing it. They're still in the process Mm -hmm. of healing from it. You don't always get fully formed, but maybe you're still really in the middle of it. It's still coming up for you. It's still really interfering with your life, but you are actively working on it. Maybe you're in therapy. Maybe you are journaling every day. You're actively addressing it. And then there's a third possibility, which is understandable, but that you have gone through really hard times or still going through really hard times and you're not addressing it or you're not properly processing it. And it is coming out in your behavior. It is coming out in your interactions, It's destructive. So those are very different things. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right, right. And like broken inside. I don't think you mean to say it as a judgment, but you also put it on yourself, Sophie. So you were like, I'm a mess. So it kind of comes down to like, it made me think of what you feel you deserve. Mm. Like the way you view yourself and how you might think of yourself as broken or yourself as unworthy or yourself as like, I'm too much. I'm a problem. Nobody would want to be with me if they weren't also, you know, fucked up. Like it kind of comes down to also like I I wanted to note it's how you see yourself and how you are viewing what you can contribute to a relationship, how you are in a relationship, what emotional capacity you have for another person,
1: you know? Well, that's a really interesting question because are you even in a place to date is something that I'm wondering. That's what I'm,
2: yeah, 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 yeah. Like,
1: you know, are you just kind of trauma bonding with people or are you Mm -hmm. feel like you've worked through your stuff and now you're capable of giving what you need to give in order to form a healthy partnership? And I I can't answer that question for you, but it is definitely something worth looking at.
2: It's like perks of being a wallflower. We accept the love we think we deserve which I don't mean to get all 2012 Tumblr on you all, but it's kind of this thing where if you think that that's all you deserve, I really relate to like, oh, I'm a mess. So these are the only people who would like me or accept me, which is defeatist. And then it kind of makes me think you're not interested or you're not trying to address what's going on with you internally. And then also I've done this a lot where I use dating someone as a band-aid So I'm like, well, I'm a total disaster, but I'll date someone who's also a disaster. And that'll make me feel good. Because sometimes I would date people who were really great when I didn't feel good about myself. And I almost felt like I wanted to be good enough for them. So I was constantly striving for that. And also that they put a mirror up to how bad I like it mocked me, like how good they were, (laughs) like put a mirror up to how I could never live up to them. So it was like self-harm in a way.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I and I also wonder sometimes maybe if you're drawn to people who are still in the midst of, of working things out, you can then focus on their stuff instead of focusing on your own stuff.
2: hmm. Oh, my God, I have to help this person so much. They're a broken baby bird. Nobody look at me.
1: <laughs> I would even argue to move away from that language at all. Right. Of like this, mm-hmm. like sense of brokenness. I think it's more that you've been through something right that maybe you're traumatized, maybe you're processing trauma, maybe you're dealing with difficult situations, but we're not broken. That's what I think. Yeah. I think even just this question shows that there's a lot of focus on the other person. And I think what maybe we need to do is redirect that focus to you. Redirect it to have you worked through your stuff in order to be in a place that, you know, you can be in a healthy relationship because sometimes you just don't have the bandwidth or the skill set to to do it, you know? Like if you don't mm-hmm. know what, you know, healthy relationship styles are, how to communicate in a healthy way or how to express what you're going through or what you're processing in a way that someone else can can take it in, you know, you just need to build up those skills, build up that stuff and then and then you start dating again. And then the other thing is is to look at like how are you interacting with what you interpret as their quote unquote brokenness? Are you interacting mm-hmm. with it to fix it? Or mm-hmm. are you more drawn to people that have just had similar experiences than you because they understand you? Again, two very mm-hmm. different things.
2: I mean, how do you feel about like patterns of dating? Like when, you know, you kind of go, oh, man, I am I keep dating the same type of person hoping for a different result. <laughs> I think we're drawn to the familiar. But at a certain point, things don't work out for
1: a reason, you know. And so mm-hmm. when I first started dating John after, you know, my fiance left me. There were a lot of similarities between the two of them. But the similarities were things like they both loved baseball. (laughs) Right. They both loved to play tennis. We had similar interests in arts and movies. The similarities weren't the things that caused my issues in my relationship with my ex-fiance, you know. So, like, the things that looking back, I realized oh, he was actually pretty rigid in the way that he lived his life and he wanted a very specific kind of life that maybe didn't align with the life I wanted. Those things weren't there with John. Mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. So what are the things that are repeating in these partners? Is it that like you tend to only lo- date people who also love musical theater? Well, that's <laughs> wonderful because then you can see a lot of musical theater. Or are you constantly dating people who cause you to get into shouting matches?
2: Mm-hmm. You know, like,
1: what are the mm-hmm. what are the specifics of those similarities that keep coming up?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate, because I noticed a pattern of dating people who were not as far along in their career as I was, or didn't have as much ambition or direction as I did. And then I would constantly be trying to help them and and put my career on the back burner. So I could help them advance their career. And I realized, like, even if I was drawn to those people, and I liked them, you know, people say, oh, you can't help who you fall in love with. You can't help. But like you can help what where you direct your energy, at least for me. So I was like, OK, I'm drawn to this person, but I know enough to not sleep with them. I know enough now to regulate, you know, how often we see each other so it doesn't become romantic. Mm-hmm. Like I took conscious steps to like go away from that dating that type of person because it just wasn't working for me. And it would I every single time it would cause resentment. It was like like clockwork. Yeah. So at a certain point I was like I got to take responsibility for for choosing these people. Yeah.
1: It's a lot of work. It's mindful dating, right? It's like being very mindful of every step of the process both in.
2: Obviously it's not romantic, you know, to be like, oh well, because people think, "Oh, I'm just going to like get drawn to this person and they're my soulmate." And it's like, "Nah, we, <laughs> don't, we don't do that here on JBU.
1: <laughs> we create our soulmates. We don't meet our soulmates." is our yes. thesis statement
2: uh, <laughs> yes uh, put it on a mug hopefully
1: that was helpful if you want to submit your international question send it to just between us pod at gmail.com that's just between us pod at gmail.com
2: up next we've got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest Dolly Josette stay tuned
4: Has dealing with stress and trying to get more focused a New Year's resolution you haven't cracked yet or don't really know how to fix? I have a lot of trouble staying focused and I also get super stressed out and I think the not being able to stay focused really dovetails with that. So if there was a way for me to keep my focus that didn't also cause my brain to get so scattered with stress, I would love to be able to fix it. I sometimes can't focus on the task at hand because I'm so busy realizing that there are things I need to do on the Just Between Us Instagram account. So I'll be like fully writing something, and all of a sudden my brain will go, oh, JBU Instagram, have to post on social media. Truvega is a handheld product that stimulates the vagus nerve to improve overall health and wellness. Stimulating the vagus nerve with Truvega helps to balance and strengthen the nervous system, which reduces stress, increases focus, improves mood, and improves sleep. Truvega is owned by ElectroCore and uses its patented technology for overall health and wellness benefits. Its utilized technology is the most clinically studied and tested vagus nerve therapy available. Customizable sessions are only two minutes long. Recommended usage is one session in the morning and one at night. Truvega comes programmed with 350 sessions, which, if used twice a day, will last approximately six months. It's drug-free and easy-to-use therapy to help improve your health. No app or phone is required. We offer free standard shipping, payment plan options, and a 30-day money-back guarantee. It's only available in the U.S. at this time. Visit Truevega.com, T-R-U-V-A-G-A.com and enter promo code JUSTBETWEENUS to enhance your wellness journey, support this podcast, and receive $15 off. That's T-R-U-V-A-G-A.com. Check out promo code JUSTBETWEENUS.
1: To just between us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous,
2: controversial segment known to all of podcasting tough questions. This week on the show, our guest is Dolly Josette, a somatic sex educator, certified sexological body worker, and intimacy and relationship coach. Hello, Dolly. Hello. How are you all today? We're good, but we've got to get into it.
5: What the heck is somatic sexology? (laughs) Well, it's so interesting because when we think of like sex educators, right, growing up, I'm a little older than y'all, but I remember like Dr. Ruth. She's iconic no matter what age. But you think like how people direct you or fast forward to, well, do this position and you can get into that and you can save your marriage if you just try doggy style or whatever like other (laughs) thing. But what pulled me into this idea of somatic sexological body work and sexology is this idea that our body really stores all this wisdom and we ignore our body constantly. We overwrite it. We overthink. And we end up doing a lot of things that we're not even checking in with our body if it wants to participate. So somatic means of the body, the foundations of this work is truly an embodiment so that you are connecting on a deeper level with your body, checking in, building a relationship, an intimate relationship with your body first, so that then you're showing up really juicy and full and, and not so needy of another person, but just really ready to receive love and intimacy and be able to give it back. So there's it's, it's this whole foundation, but that's what really distinguishes it because we're going to the body to guide us as to what it's ready to learn. And eventually you get to the positions, but, you know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So how is this different in terms of training and and background from, let's say, you know, a licensed therapist who is also
5: specializes in in sex therapy? Well, we study, like I said, the foundations of embodiment. Joseph Kramer created um, this idea of even claiming the term of sexological bodywork. He coined this term and created a recognized um, profession in the state of California. And since then, there are different teachers worldwide who teach it. We're probably, it's still a pretty small field, but it's pretty innovative. We're probably, I'm guessing, around 1,800 trained and certified sexological body workers. And so the training is from understanding all sorts of sexual styles, from doing embodiment your own self, really diving deep into what is the work, the healing. A lot of sexological body work is also grounded in what's called remediation. So I don't want it to mean like people who only have trauma or pain need sexological body work because it can really just open your eyes on all sorts of levels. Did y'all see this show on Goop where they were actually featuring some sexological body workers, some um, colleagues of mine, Jaya and Darshana, and the couples weren't dealing, one of the couples wasn't dealing with that, but they just thought, oh, I'm a particular sexual style, and we're able to uncover by, again, turning to the body, what is the body craving, how does the body want and can find its turn on, and so... The basis of the training is truly an embodiment. It's, you know, many months. Um, and it's different than a therapist because we are not psychotherapists. So it's really distinguishable. Sexological body workers also are one-way touch. So we can touch one way, our our hands to the client. Therapists, you can't, you're not even supposed to hug your, your client. <laughs> <laughs> so when a client is ready to have any Body mapping, or even working in consent, even just you know learning about giving touch or taking touch or allowing. There's four different quadrants of touch. We will then interact with touch in a non-erotic way. So we're not bringing our turn on. You know, we're not like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> we we are there like eliciting and being present to helping them uncover their core erotic theme. We're able to listen to all sorts of things and just really be present with them and allow their eroticism to show up so that we can like bust shame. So in regular therapy, we often work. I work with a lot of therapists who send clients to me because they're just not adept at really getting into The different sexual styles, different kinks, you know, gender identification, all those types of things. And because our field is so vast, I may specialize in a particular group. A certain group of people might resonate with just me as a practitioner, and then there are all sorts of other people who have their specialty. So we really are collaborative. We'll send people to, oh, I have the perfect person, the perfect practitioner for you. I'm not able to suit your needs. I hope that answered the question.
2: I was curious, what are the four
5: quadrants? The four quadrants of touch, Yeah, giving and receiving, and then taking and allowing. Another way of saying taking would be absorbing. So if you think about touch, and one of our teachers, Betty Martin, she's has this whole thing of the will of consent, and she's even just wrote a book and, and, and published it, I think, last year. But it's really fascinating because if we look at the world of consent, that's such a hot hot thing right now, right? In mainstream. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, consent. Some people from the old school world were be like, oh, that's not sexy. But there's so many ways that you can be sexy with consent so that we're not overriding the body and just putting what we want on somebody else. So if you think about no consent, a taking touch. Um, I lived in New York City for almost 10 years. Oh, I'm in my 20s. It's like somebody grabbing your ass on the train. Mm-hmm. That's for their pleasure but they didn't ask permission. So they're taking. So when we think about that, then it's like this word of taking gets maybe develop a bad rap. But when it's within consent, when I can first teach, a lot of my clients have a really hard time even receiving. So once we master the receiving, then it's like moving into taking. So like, I could give my hand a giving touch and it's receiving, or I can take my hand and I'm now going to take and feel and like move this pleasure. And I'm going to just take, take what's mine within consent. So it can be really sexy when I can teach couples this aspect. Oh my goodness cock worship, you know, vulva love, all that kind of stuff just goes to the next level because you're not just like, Oh, let me just do this just to get it over with, you know? Oh, Oh yeah. My husband, my husband and I have this joke, like a cup of Joe and a blow. Okay. Yeah. Let me just get it over with, you know, but instead I can be like, because I have all my embodiment, I can take, I can find the pleasure of the different changes of the, of the texture of the skin and I can, it's like I'm playing, you know, like you're playing with and you're taking from the pleasure, then it actually becomes more of a turn on for your partner to watch you because you're in your pleasure. Does that kind of make sense? Sometimes it's a harder thing to get conceptually. It has to be a felt experience. And this brings us back to what distinguishes the work of somatic sexology because you go through things in an interactive like let's check this out. What did you notice in your body? Cause you have to like, there's like a little difference that you feel the difference in your body. Like, Oh yeah, I felt it like, like riding a bike. We could talk about balance, you yeah. know, till we're blue in the face, but until you get on that bike and fall a couple of times and then you like get it, you feel it. Like you could think about it. Do y'all ride bikes? <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, like you can just think about it and you can kind of feel that aspect of balance in your body. So it's a memory that your body has. So we are going in and like looking at what are the habits people have and what do they want to like be free of and what do they want to bring in their life? I can't give to somebody what I want. I have to guide and be the practitioner and be there for what they want. And so I'm guiding them in this way to create these new neural pathways so it has body memory and to unwind that shame or habits that don't serve them so that they can we can create more spaciousness for more pleasure potential.
1: I love that so much. I think this is so fascinating and makes so much sense. And, and, you know, I think you really did earlier touched on an interesting thing about more traditional therapy where there is a lot of like ethical consideration about touch and you know debate on whether or not touch is ever appropriate, um, if it is helpful or harmful. And I guess I'm wondering with you you know often probably working with people who have trauma, how do you make sure that that the touch that you are providing is is healing and not harmful?
5: Well, it could be many sessions before I even bring my touch to them. I always am teaching them how to self-regulate and how to anchor their own body. And in fact, I've been really analyzing like a lot of my foundational curriculum that I offer private clients. And I, um, I made some videos last year. Well, also to COVID. I had to mm-hmm. move a lot of my sessions to online. So I had to recreate. I mean, people come to me, like I'm known as like, you know, vulva queen because I really love to specialize in vulva mapping. And so then when I had to like get unattached to bringing touch to va- mapping my clients in my office and like figure out how to do it online, it blew my mind. But it also created a whole new learning curve where I don't even need to see the genitals on Zoom. I just need to be with the person just like I'm seeing you all being with whatever emotions show up so they I can guide them in touching and navigating so it's a felt experience and memories are coming up. We're trying different um, kinds of touch. And I realized the agency of somebody touching their own body is amazing. There are many clients who pay good money to come in and have me do a vulva mapping on them. And then they wouldn't do their homework in going back and then tending to their own selves. And so what I'm really loving, if we have to say there's a silver lining about all the COVID stuff, is it really taught me the importance of putting agency at at the front and center. But even when I did do in-person, and I'm doing more now, the in-person sessions, it's always finding their breath, finding their body. And I do what's called a body anchor meditation meditation. And I just released it actually as a free video. It's a 20 minute free video because if I never see anybody, like if I can make some small contribution to society, if everybody could just do 20 minutes of body anchor and learn some tools of embodiment, then I feel like I'm a better human and I felt good about that. So I just released it last week. And people are really having some good feedback. And as basic as we would assume it is, you know, breath finding a safe space to touch your body, closing your eyes. You also have to remember there are some people that closing their eyes might be freaking frightening, you know? They're just, they're having some trauma response in their body that it doesn't feel good.
2: It just sounds like a lot of um, grounding exercises. And also, you know, I think people are not checked in with their bodies, even like, you know, the, am I hungry? Am I tired? Are my shoulders tight? How am I sitting? Like, yes. uh, you know, I think it's very tempting to sort of disassociate from one's physical form. It's so true. It's so true. One of my private
5: clients, it was so interesting. She's worked as a, as a sex worker in the porn industry for many years in her early 20s. And now she's coming to me to to work through and to reclaim because she just feels numbed out. Mm-hmm. And. It was interesting because she did her homework. We were doing the body anchor meditation. I guided her privately to see what was going on for her. And then she shared with me, I notice that even when I go to touch myself, my I have resistance. My body's coming back. I, I just kind of want to check out. So doing like your own homework and starting to notice, we, I call that you're starting to build somatic awareness. Oh, that happened when I just went to go put my hand on my chest or on my belly. So I was like, oh, my God, thank God you're sharing this with me because because of the trauma that is in your body, now that you're letting me know this, we can do another step back. Like, hey, body, just want to hang out with you. Just want to love on you. You know, I'm really loving that you gave me some signs like pulling away like you didn't even want my own hands on me. Like you're talking to your body like it's another person. Mm-hmm. And this is where you layer in the consent. And just being able to start showing up for your body, particularly in a traumatic experience like that, that you're not asking anything of it. Mm. Our bodies get done to so much, you know, even by ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're just like, oh, yeah, do this, do that. And it's just like, hey, what what feels good to you? Yeah. So she's in a process of really nurturing and building a relationship with her own self that she's like, oh, I can just show up and be, okay, maybe I don't want touch, but maybe I'll put a blanket on me, just bring Mm -hmm. some warmth. So there's some pre-steps to her even doing what I would consider a basic body anchor meditation. Mm -hmm. So we never know, but building that awareness and dialoguing with your body, oh my God, so key. (laughs) I've got to ask though, what is vulva mapping? Well, vulva mapping, it's like I'm the tour guide. So it's, it's <laughs> like I'm guiding you point by point to all of your anatomy. I have a real in-depth online course that's like a four-hour course. You do it over five days or five weeks. And you can guide it. I'm, I'm on video telling you. I'm not naked. I have my vulva cushion pillow, which I forgot to bring for this. But I'm guiding you point by point just to feel. The very first time you do an experience, I don't want a mirror there. I may mention the anatomy terms, but I'm not going to quiz you on it afterwards. You don't need to write it down because you are basically being with and bringing touch to all of your body parts, your outer lips, the right side, your left side, your outer labia, your inner labia, your front commissure, your perineum. We look to see if you have a clitoral shaft. That's the biggest breakthrough for many, many vulva owners is everybody's all focused on the clit. And we think the clit, which is really the glands, like the head of the clitoral. But if you push back in to between the top of your inner and um, outer lips into this area called the front commissure, you can really push into the pubic bone and you can feel for if there's a little bit of a cord And if you can, it might just feel good just by doing that. But you can roll your fingers and actually discover how big your shaft is. So if you had had a different chromosome, this would have become your your shaft. So you can, once you find this, you can play. You can do a little pop to see if your body likes it. If your body hates it, don't do it again. But then you can (laughs) also roll it and just give yourself a little finger job. And it is Literally, like the biggest breakthrough in every vulva mapping is that clitoral shaft. But we we discover areas, the vestibule, the out plane right on the outside of the introitus, which is a vaginal opening. It's giving command of language. It's erasing the fact that our parts down there for vulva owners is not just a vagina. A vagina is a glorious place, but it's one part of this amazing anatomy. And vulva owners have five erectile beds and everybody just talks about the clip or the g-spot and it's not just the g-spot of course the g-crest it's a whole area this is on in the inside of the of the vaginal canal and in a vulva mapping depending on the time we could get to a vaginal mapping too it just really depends on what shows up lots of emotions lots of stories lots of releasing energy lots of curiosity. So I like for the for the vulva owner to have a felt experience, very empowering, very commanding. There could be laughing, there could be tears, there could be all kinds of stuff. There could be some arousal, some turn on. And then the next kind of a mapping, if you were to do homework, is then you're taking a mirror. Then you're listening to me guiding you. Okay, this is what that is. Can you find that? So you're like going on a little treasure hunt. And you're really looking at your anatomy because oftentimes vulva owners only look down there if something's gone is wrong. Mm. I mean, in, in my generation, yeah, I don't know what's going on with the twenties and thirties now, uh, yeah, but, but I'm hearing that mostly still mm-hmm. and the curiosity and this, this idea that my mission this year is like being your own pleasure muse. So what does being your own pleasure muse mean? It means having the agency and taking these steps to learn your body, getting out the mirrors and looking at yourself when you're in a non-aroused state compared to an aroused state mm. so that you're not shortchanging yourself when you're having your own like erotic experiences or your own partnered experiences. You're like, yeah, she's not co- she's not quite ready yet or they're not quite ready yet, whatever the pronouns might be of your genitals so that you can be a little bit more in command of what you're ready for.
2: I was curious, is it mostly vulva uh, owner type people or, you know, because I, I read about the goop thing. Um, and so it's like couples and then like queer women couple where they both had vulvas. And is there anyone that's like a penis owner that comes and, and needs like the same amount of work? Yes, absolutely.
5: In the beginning, I worked um, with a lot of penises, (laughs) and I just my natural thing and what how I just wanted to spend my time moved towards the vulva and the and the women and the couples. Uh, I'm in a you know 14 year long term you know marriage. It's my second marriage, so I'm really committed to saving couples. It's just my own personal thing, but there are so many practitioners, so many things. There's so many needs you know, for penis owners, things that I personally encountered men who were really addicted to porn and they were Mm -hmm. preferring porn to being with a person, but they were smart to recognize that I don't think this is okay. Like this is moving into a place where I'm feeling like not even connected to myself. So doing the embodiment and kind of pulling them off of porn slowly, like a little porn fast. You know, you don't get off a of coffee right away. You maybe do a little <laughs> half cast. <laughs> so, so we're kind of moving in that direction. One particular client was a 36-year-old virgin. And his therapist worked with me. We, we talked every few months. I literally saw this person every week for two years. He was committed. You would show up. I do another modality called Somatica, where when I'm doing that kind of a session, it's clothes on and we do, it does allow for two way touch. But I'm literally teaching him how to even just stroke my arm. And it was amazing because he just didn't have this experience in high school or college. He just was a classic. Kind of a loner guy, such a good heart, such a brilliant man. But just even the way he would touch me—you think of it like a child, like just kind of grabbing—and mm-hmm. so like just teaching to touch and teaching him to have attunement. And so fast forward, then I'm helping him get his online profile. He gets his mm-hmm. first girlfriend. He has oh. sex. Um, so it was really amazing. So there are a lot of men who need help, and on the website of sexlogicalbodyworkers.org org you can find people in different mm-hmm. countries different states and you can find people who work with men because they they need also the
2: love and healing i imagine too like that this could be useful for trans clients Mm, yes, yes. you know, so that's also something that I wanted to bring up if people are looking. There probably are people who specialize in genitals uh, with like you know gender identity and trans clients, which I think could potentially be interesting because we tend to disassociate from our bodies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when I did my training, we
5: had I was a gender confirmation um, student and we just learned so much. And because we are using our own bodies in the training, it was, you know, she was so generous to let us, you know, see her body and and understand um, about the gender confirmation. And it was fantastic. There are definitely colleagues, I'm thinking of one right now in Massachusetts, who is going through the confirmation now. So there's... What's beautiful about sexological body workers is there's a lot of diversity within the practitioners. Me, heteronormative couples tend to gravitate towards me. And I don't want, sometimes heteronormative can be used as a pejorative. They're so heteronormative (laughs) because it's like, oh, same old, same old. Listen, there's nothing normal about necessarily coming and talking about sex and how you want to get off or get turned on. Like that's a yeah. little, that's a little risque and people are getting nervous about it. But I and my other colleagues try and make it, you know, make it as, as safe and comfortable as possible. But my colleagues, we have different specialties. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are, I mean, Joseph Kramer, who created this, I, I, I started to talk about that earlier. He created sexological bodywork as a response to the AIDS epidemic. Because he was a gay man and they were having all these like body electric, really cool, you know, all the stuff going on these. But he created body electric, which then um, moved into sexological body or created curriculum around it so that people could learn and have one way touch, really facilitate climax and not like take we have sexual needs of feeling in our body and releasing and moving this energy, but it didn't have to be attached to penetration.
2: Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. That's really fascinating. I'm sure for hetero couples too, they feel like there's only one way to do it because that's how we're taught. So that makes a lot of sense for for almost everyone in society to think that penetration is the the be-all end-all, which yeah. I'm sure we I've experienced. And I'm sure Allison's experienced. You know what I mean?
1: we're going to take a quick break but stick around
4: has dealing with stress and trying to get more focused a new year's resolution you haven't cracked yet or don't really know how to fix I have a lot of trouble staying focused and I also get super stressed out and I think the not being able to stay focused really dovetails with that so if there was a way for me to keep my focus that didn't also cause my brain to get so scattered with stress I would love to be able to fix it I sometimes can't focus on the task at hand because I'm so busy realizing that there are things I need to do on the Just Between Us Instagram account. So I'll be like fully writing something, and all of a sudden my brain will go, oh, JBU Instagram, have to post on social media. Truvega is a handheld product that stimulates the vagus nerve to improve overall health and wellness. Stimulating the vagus nerve with Truvega helps to balance and strengthen the nervous system, which reduces stress, increases focus, improves mood, and improves sleep. Truvega is owned by Electrocorp and uses its patented technology for overall health and wellness benefits. Its utilized technology is the most clinically studied and tested vagus nerve therapy available. Customizable sessions are only two minutes long. Recommended usage is one session in the morning and one at night. Truvega comes programmed with 350 sessions, which, if used twice a day, will last approximately six months. It's drug free and easy to use therapy to help improve your health. No app or phone is required. We offer free standard shipping, payment plan options, and a 30-day money-back guarantee. It's only available in the U.S. at this time. Visit truevega.com, T-R-U-V-A-G-A.com, and enter promo code JUSTBETWEENUS to enhance your wellness journey, support this podcast, and receive $15 off. That's T-R-U-V-A-G-A.com. Check out promo code JUSTBETWEENUS.
2: So
1: how much does the practice differ when you're working with an individual versus working with a
5: couple? Couples are hard. (laughs) That's so hard because when I work with couples, working with them collectively is important, but then also being able to have some private sessions with them because there might be some things that they're even ashamed to tell their partner about what Mm -hmm. they want or what their desire. And I keep our shared conversations, confidential. So I'm trying to creatively figure out a way to bridge. Oh my gosh. (laughs) You know, and because the work is, we want to normalize people's kinks and desires. You know, this one guy, it was another therapist sent, um, man that was sent to me, worked with him for many months. And then the next year he brought in his new girlfriend. He wanted to just be like, Pink and being dominated was his turn on. He just he loved it, and so how to bridge like talking with her about it. They were so uber polite with each other, and I finally had to say, I was like, sh- she doesn't want to tell him what she wants, but then we would do these these conversations of like intimacy building, and I would whisper things in his ear to say to her because I kind of knew some stuff that she liked. And really and truly, she just wanted to be called a dirty slut. <laughs> and he's like, oh, no, you- two <laughs> bottoms. Yes, oh, no. I know. I know. Oh, no. And so then we had to grapple with like, OK, how are we going to do this? I'm going to take turns here. Yeah. But at the same time, she was like presenting as this like really good girl, like sweet and innocent. And really she just, she just wanted to be told that she was just like, you know, a dirty slut. And you just, you say the words and her body was just like melting. But he's like, is that okay? That that doesn't bother you that I, like they're being so uber polite. So I bring this back to the couples. We have these thoughts, we have these desires, but we sometimes make judgments about what our fantasies are and we don't know how to deal with them. And so when I can work with somebody and like really pull out what is the core erotic theme, great book to really look at that if anybody just wants to explore it on their own is The Erotic Mind by Jack Morin. And he really gets into how we find these core erotic themes and we grab onto them since we're little and we kind of replay them throughout our life. Now, if it's a habit that you don't really love like can you or can you not change it it's that you want to be informed by it so that you can have control over it versus it having control over you mm-hmm. you know right. but being able to be with couples to just validate their experience and to say like yeah it's okay that you want sex it's okay that you desire this your partner is is a desirable person and yeah and you you feel like you're not being given the time of day or, you know, and just really having them feel that softness because when intimacy can happen is when that opening for vulnerability happens. So then we can bring that back together with the partnered interactions. And then now I do Zooms where I teach couples how to administer touch, like the one person is being the quote-unquote sexological body worker, uh, um, but of course, they have to—they have to get their own massage table. So that's been what I've been <laughs> doing with COVID, or now back in my office in Los Angeles. You know, I'll work with couples, teaching them how to map, teaching them how to read the body to see what kind of sexual style the body is gravitating towards. You know,
1: and how do you deal with like? what in in like psychology we call like counter transference, right? Like the way that these clients make you feel. Um, Because I imagine a lot of things come up. I imagine both trauma and also the unease that the clients might be feeling. How do you self-care to be able to continue to do this kind of profession?
5: This was, I think, part of the reason that I personally stopped working with single guys
2: Mm. So
5: if I have to be really completely blunt, it became a lot for me to hold that energy as a container that would really actually serve them. Mm -hmm. Because I felt like, whoa, it's just, it's really heavy for me personally. And so if uh, somebody is sent to me from a therapist And I have the therapist that we can work on things a little bit back and forth that I'm not like. And and, and also, of course, we have our professional organizations where we can, you know, move things, you know, say, this is what's going on. I'm noticing this. I think this person is is developing this attraction or what have you. But even sometimes I'll work with couples and women will say, oh, well, if my husband just had, you know, somebody like you, Dolly, you know, then the world, everything would be solved. So then even like a woman can project like she wants to be like me. And so it's like, well, what about that? What aspect do we want to develop in you? And or what about you is already so amazing that so I try and bring it back to what about them that they can pull out so that they're not projecting that they have to be just like me. You know,
1: it sounds like you had to sort of find the right population from for you and also, you know, consult with your colleagues, which I think is really always very important. Yeah,
5: yeah. The other thing that I did is I minimize the amount of private clients that I see because I literally think about their lives. I'll read something. They, They become an extension of my family. Yeah. And I just I love and I care for them so much that. I had to reduce the amount of private clients so that I could really really look after them a little bit better. And so then even after we're done with the Zoom session, I'll write a nice it's my personal style. I like to recap. I like to show them like this is what we worked on. This is something that you said that really stood out because I don't want them necessarily taking notes in the session. I want them to be really be present because then we can have more breakthroughs. So I just try and It's just, it's just my personal style. Everybody does it different.
2: (laughs) I have a question about the legality because I noticed that it's legal in California and then it's largely illegal. What's, what's that about? It's a gray area,
5: you know? I mean, one could say that I'm putting my hands, you know, on somebody's body or touching them in a sexual way that it's sex work also. Mm-hmm. You know, people in the legal world may want to lump it into you know it's the same as you know what I told you, my client who 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 was in the porn industry, but the difference is that this is all consensual, and it's not like the first you know session people are like, "Hi, I'm going to give you a penis mapping," or "I'm going to this." The goal is not about getting off. The goal is about healing, and I do have a feeling, just like you know, cannabis has become legal in what, is it almost every state now? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Pretty close to. I really think um, sex work is the next frontier. I really do.
2: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's this interesting thing where, you know, I could perceive people getting jealous or like someone thinking, oh, like, you know, if you're monogamous with your husband, like, are you? Like, you know, I can see these like gray areas that, you know, people because often I've heard too, like people that have trauma hiring straightforward sex workers for similar purposes. But those people are not trained, you know, like I've done sex work and 90 percent of it is Emotional labor, <laughs> and yeah. so like, but you're not trained. I'm not trained like you are. Like I'm not trained for that. Mm-hmm. So it is a different thing. But what states is it legal in? And like, what do you think people need to understand in order to separate it? I think it's from the technical perspective. I in the U.S. it's legal. Um, sex
5: work is legal in many other countries that this is practiced in. But I think just in California, it's recognized by the state. Mm-hmm. This is why I keep my office open in Cal in Los Angeles,
0: mm-hmm. you
5: know. But like, look, so much of the sessions have moved to Zoom. We're not touching anybody,
2: right? So completely legal. Or yeah. if you were filming, <laughs> if you were filming your sessions and putting them online, it's porn. So you're done. You're not doing anything illegal. It's like so. I know. It's so I nuts. Know. And this
5: is why you know. I was the president of the association, of my professional association, and but I like when there's checks and balances. This is why I like it when my colleagues join the professional association of whatever country or, or ours. So the fact that you have these checks and balances, if there's any question, about an ethical question comes up, then somebody has a place to go to. But this idea, you know, you, you said a whole lot of stuff. So, like, let's say uh, somebody comes to me and they are concerned about their marriage. My first question is, great, does your partner know that you're seeking this out? Mm -hmm. And I'm always of the belief that it's best to tell the partner. But it's, again, it's not my choice. It's that person's choice. Because I have definitely worked with people who have not told their partner and they have applied and worked with what we've learned, gone back and saved their marriage. One wife said, Whatever you're doing, this is amazing. And you know, then he told her about it, um, but you're showing up in a whole different way. Another person was not happy. Oh, the partner. Yes, equated this as like a huge betrayal. But you have to think about it in terms of getting the help that you need. But if it has to do with intimacy, it's sometimes hard because you bring up those types of conversations in a relationship and it's kind of a no, it's a no, it's not a non-starter from the mm-hmm. beginning. Like many clients would say like, my wife won't even listen to this podcast or my wife won't even consider this or my husband, he won't do the homework. I have this amazing couple. Like I love them. And my gosh, the husband not interested in doing the homework. And so she's feeling a little lost. And so then, then then she brings that to me. So then it's like, how can I then teach you to really just be present and self and self-soothe and self-love and create this intimacy until at which time she ever tells me, can part of this healing be empowerment? Yes, because you're giving agency and voice to then she can decide if she wants to stay in this relationship or not. So it even though we're talking about intimacy. When it boils down to it, it's consent, number one. My hands are not on you. I was doing the body anchor meditation with the client that I mentioned earlier, and I said, check in with your body if she wants to do another level of this that we can incorporate what you just shared with me that you discovered from your homework or not. Consent is number one in our profession, boundaries, and then the the pillars of embodiment breath, touch. Movement, sound, and placement of awareness, five of them. So this is the foundations of sexological body work. And we bring these to our conversations of sexual style, fantasy, asking for what you want, and all of that kind of stuff. But I don't even get, it's, it's almost like that conversation is like junior high school, like elementary school are these foundations right. <laughs> of embodiment that I have to know I can trust your body, that your body's not just going to like freeze or numb out or not know what to do, even if I'm just like, you know, putting my hand on the belly,
2: mm-hmm.
5: you know, um, to just to get you grounded in, in any body work. So there's a lot of checks and balances that we do. And unfortunately, people legally want to lump all of this as bad and negative. Where I think particular types of therapeutic and trained groups of sex educators, I think it would be beneficial if it was more legal in all places and mm-hmm. not such a gray zone.
1: We agree. Um, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. <laughs> And then before we move on to the game show, I'm just wondering, you know, for people listening, what are some signals that maybe this would be beneficial to them to seek out?
5: Well, just looking to see if you are open to talking about sex. If you feel like a little embarrassed or if you say, oh, let's talk about sex. Like, like, <laughs> like does your voice like get quiet? Are you like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know? Or um, I don't think like younger people are that way. Most younger people, they're, they're pretty open because they're in this whole new thing and identity and gender. Like all this stuff is so out there. So it's so amazing. But now it's the same conversation of the other clue is are you trapped in feeling like you have to be performative or you have to do something in a certain way? So we could say that, you know, young people, I hear about things from my younger cousin, all the stuff that's going on, but are people just doing it just to be included or just to feel accepted? So, you know, fast forward to, you know, 20s and 30s, people are exploring and learning and things feel new and exciting, but just noticing, are you kind of stuck in a rut where the way you climax or get off is always the same go-to? Mm-hmm. And do you want to expand your menu? Do you want to have some more options? Do you want to be more at choice? Do you want your pleasure to be more, to be more like luscious? And do you want to learn new things about your anatomy that we're just, we're never taught? And I imagine if you, if you
1: struggle to do any of those things in the first place. Right. Or you don't know anything that works for you.
5: Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Exactly. I mean, we're not taught this. You know, I went for my OBGYN appointment, and they're not teaching us about our erectile tissues. You know, they're not teaching right. us about certain things. So, yeah, I even asked my OBGYN if I could vulva map her. <laughs> <laughs> What'd she say? She was like, and she's like, Oh, Dolly, you always just bring such interesting things for us to talk about. <laughs> She says, I'm going to probably be a no to that, but when, will you send the link to the class, the do-it-yourself class, and maybe one of the girls in the office will do it.
2: <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah. So she, it, was a, it was a nice no thank you, but she, she, she loved that I offered. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope that you'll love that I'm going to offer
1: you the opportunity to play a game show. Yes, please <laughs> bring it on. Okay, so Hypotheticals is a game show where you and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have, and then you tell me what you would do in that situation. And then um, I pretty arbitrarily pick my favorite answer. So it's, it's not fair, but it is fun.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay.
1: <laughs> so our first hypothetical is America's favorite game show, Would You Stay With This Cheater? I forgot that I had named a character in this and I'm, I've delighted myself. Oh, okay, okay, here we go. You have been with your partner for four years. One time when your partner was in high school, their crush, Reba Rabinsky, publicly humiliated them by kissing them at a house party in front of everyone and telling them to go wait for her in one of the bedrooms, only to never show up as everyone waited outside and timed how long it took your partner to realize it was a prank and Reba Rab- Rabinsky was never going to show. Flash forward and your partner runs into Reba Rabinsky at an adult house party that you couldn't make it to. They see an opportunity for revenge, so they make out with Reba Rabinsky in public and tell her to meet them in one of the bedrooms only to stand her up. Would you stay with this cheater who was just really out for revenge but did
5: make out with Reba Rabinsky? Oh, my God. I would high five that five him.
2: (laughs) How did Reba not realize that this was just exactly what she how did she fall for it? Because your partner is very charming. Oh, that's nice for me. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I love revenge and I love long term revenge. I love sitting on it and waiting. So I got I would also high five them and I would be like, good for you. And then I would join in on mocking Reba Rabinsky. <laughs> I would put it on my social media, and no, I wouldn't. But you know, I would tell my at least my family.
5: <laughs> oh my gosh, that is great. I would have also been like, like coming from the therapist, like not the therapist, the practitioner perspective of like, so how did it make you feel? And How was, <laughs> how was kissing her in public? And did she want more? And this like. So I would have just been curious to understand like all the emotional stuff behind it. And I would have said, okay, I would have loved maybe like hey, Reba's here. Cuz I'm guessing he's played this fantasy out in his mind before. Right. So it's like, you know, you have the code word Reba's in the house. Can I go for it?
2: That Reba, it, Reba's in the house. This is my one chance fancy. I know. So- <laughs> Exactly. So if we were to, like, really want to layer in
5: consent there, then I would have just maybe said that I would have liked to have thought that I had this relationship that I I was in on the potential revenge of Reba one day, that this could have been a possibility. Um, but if not, I would have been like, you know what? I would have probably done the same damn thing. So I get it. And the fact that they would tell me about it afterwards. Yeah. That's the key. Wow. So this
1: partner is really... Pretty incredible person. Yeah. We're really proud of them for this cheating. Smart. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Our next game. Is this a date? You are a vibrant part of your local indie improv community. Gross. One of your your improv friends asks if you would like to perform in a two-person show with them, which is when just two people perform a whole show together. You say yes, and they ask if you would want to rehearse at their house one night. When you show up, they suggest that you improvise a single scene of two people on a first date for 20 minutes. Is this an actual date? Oh, my God.
2: This is so confusing.
5: It is, right? (laughs) No. This is... uh, My alarms are going off. This is a trick. (laughs) "This This is like somebody who doesn't know how to ask you out from class is being manipulative and is trying to get you in a precarious situation for their benefit so they are in the outside of will of consent they are trying to take without my Mm. consent and they're pulling one over on me so I would say no thank you
2: yeah it's a trick and they're a coward yes don't like them. And I would improvise the date going poorly. <laughs> <laughs> How would you end the scene? So I'd sweep the scene, run across the stage, and edit and it edit to edit show it. that it's over. And then I would exit the house. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this is actually
5: happening in the practice, not like in class on the stage, right? No, this it's is happening like in practice. rehearsal. It's happening but at I, their house. At the house by themselves. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I would say, okay, that doesn't feel like the right kind of practice or kind of scene preparation. So let's come up with something else. And I would probably give a second chance. Let's come up with something else. And they said, okay, let's improvise that
1: we've been married for 20 years and it's our romantic anniversary.
2: No. (laughs) No. (laughs) No. God, you know,
5: I'm actually a little not confronted, but I'm a little challenged by this. My first husband was in acting school for a long time. So sometimes I'd come home and they like have to be kissing, but it was part of the scene. It wasn't like, let's make it up. Like we have to kiss. Do you know what I mean? So
2: that was my favorite part of acting class. (laughs)
4: Did you do acting (laughs) classes? (laughs)
2: Yeah, it was too confusing because straight Mm. women were like, we can make out. And I'd be like, what's your deal? oh my gosh it was It was too much for my tiny lizard brain. well, they were probably trying to figure out some stuff for themselves, yeah, but i
5: got I got to go. I'm on the clock. I gotta go. I love it. I love it yeah i think I think this person is just really into get getting their kicks. I don't think they're genuinely wanting to practice, so i I think I like the sweeping idea. I'm choosing Gabby's idea. thank you.
1: <laughs> You've selected the right answer yeah. They wanted it to be a date, but instead it will be a heartbreaking scene of rejection. Okay, our final game. Are you a terrible parent? Your daughter, 17, wants her boyfriend to sleep over one night. But since they are underage, you tell her that he can only sleep over if they keep the door wide open the entire time. They agree to this and then proceed to have sex with the door open, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) thinking that you were asleep, but you were getting some sleepy time tea and saw everything and now cannot unsee it. She is so mortified she doesn't talk to you for a month. Are you a terrible parent? Something like this did happen to me.
2: Oh my God, what do you mean? So I had a I had a, a a guy friend sleeping over and we were in high school and he was like, we started hooking up or whatever. And my my door was closed. My mom was like, oh, there's something like there's something f- making noise or whatever. And she's like dumb. And she just opened the door <gasps> and was like, ah, and closed the door. And then which like, what did she think was happening that he was like punching the ground? Like, I don't understand. Anyway, <laughs> and then to act shocked by what she Found when she herself opened Pandora's box. But anyway, so then the next morning she was just like, don't tell your father. (laughs) And I was like, so mortified. But were you mad at her? Kind of, because I was like, can you put two and two together? Why did you fling the door open? Yeah. But, and then act surprised. If she had flung the door open and been like, aha, you know what I mean? Caught you. But she opened the door and was then shocked. So (laughs) I don't know. It was fine.
1: I remember one time my mom left me and a, my guy friend alone and, and went out. And I was like, oh, even my mom knows that I'm a loser. <laughs>
5: oh, my gosh. I think that if I would have been the mom, I would have just closed the door. And let right? them
2: continue on.
5: Right? Why Why oh, yeah. fling
2: the door open? My mom should have just left the door closed and then talked to me in the morning. Why fling the door open? Oh, that was very weird. We also weren't even having sex. I don't know, whatever. It was really weird. Oh. But in the hypothetical, are you a terrible parent? Wait, so the hypothetical, do the do the
5: teenagers know that she sees them in that moment or she they find out about it the next day? Because
1: you walk by with your sleepy time tea and you gasp and drop the tea. Oh, that's rough. Oh, so it's a whole God. it's a whole thing.
2: Well, you know, bold bold of them to just be like, "Oh, the door's open. We'll just fuck anyway." Like very bold. I feel like I've raised a really bold, confident woman.
5: <laughs> I kind of would have high-fived myself, and then I would have been pissed I broke my tea. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I
2: think the answer is just c- closing the door. Yeah. And being like, look, you you know what? You bested me, teen daughter. You, you, your door can be closed. I'm traumatized. <laughs> you win this yeah. round. <laughs> she followed the rules, right?
1: She did. She followed the rules. Yeah, she wins this round, honestly. (laughs)
2: That's my bad. Fool me once. Yeah. I mean, sex
5: happens. Come on.
1: Thank you. I would love a bumper sticker that just says sex happens. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us, Dolly. Where can people
5: find out more about what you're up to in all of your online courses? Pleasuremuse.com or Instagram at pleasuremuse. And I have some, uh, like I said, this 20-minute free video. You can get a sense of how does embodiment feel on you. So you get a test, a sample of just my, you know, my style. And you never have to do anything. You just do this 20 minutes and take this time for yourself. And just I have some other cool videos, Vulva hugging, embodiment 101, the secret sauce, the Vulva mapping. That's a really long course. And then this other really quickie. That is Vulva Hug Sexual Awakening. So it's like Vulva Hugging 2.0.
0: So um, just,
5: just some fun things so that people can really, again, learn how to become their own muse, how to really regulate and check in with their own bodies as they navigate all the amazing things that are out there in terms of intimacy and erotic development.
1: Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, thank
5: you. You are welcome. Such a pleasure. Stick
1: around after the break. We'll be talking all about moving. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for Topics.
2: X, 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 Baby. 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 Baby.
1: There she is. There she is. (laughs) Melissa is joining us for today's topic. We are talking all about moving, which all of us have done relatively
2: recently. This is true. So Melissa is an expert on moving.
3: Yes, I've spent my life doing moves since I was we taught. I've moved in several states. I never remember off the top of my head. Also, cities within the same state. So, as a kid, I never lived anywhere more than two years. And I think the shortest time I ever lived anywhere was like nine months. Wow! So,
1: because of your parents' careers,
3: yeah, it was just what my life was. So it didn't didn't make me feel like weird or anything. It's just like it's time to move every couple of years. So it was cool. I got to meet a lot of different types of people and go to a lot of different places and I enjoyed it.
2: So do you have any, are you like an expert mover? Like if you had to pick up tomorrow, you would know exactly what to do?
3: Well, because when I was moving as a child, they were like corporate moves for jobs. So we didn't have to touch anything. Someone would just come in and take care of everything. That's amazing. Every single thing. And they would like take pictures. And this was before things were digital. So they'd take pictures and then like set things up in the same way when we got to a new place. Yeah.
2: whoa that's so weird
3: that's trippy yeah and i thought that's just how people moved i didn't know
2: (laughs) that like that is trippy it's just like they transplanted your living room to another house i would be so freaked out
3: yep shout out to north american movers or whatever
2: (laughs) (laughs) allison's moving yeah i
1: started packing last night I've realized that I hate the part of packing where I have to decide what to keep and what to throw out and where and how to pack it. But, like, for the parts of packing that are easy, like, oh, these books just go into this box, that's kind of soothing. And that it's just like this, you know, you're just, like, using your hands but not using your brain that much. I'd hate the part where mm-hmm. I have to use my brain.
2: You don't realize how much stuff you've accumulated. So, mm-hmm. like, you'll find, like, a, a spray bottle and you're like, do I want this? Or, like, am I going to move this ketchup? Or, like, what... I, you don't realize like you think like, oh, it's a room. It's just some furniture, but then you're like packing up pieces of paper and like, you know, like little like parts of, of cameras or what I don't know. It's like there's so much stuff you don't realize. Like, okay, where am I going to, I'm going to put a box of all of my like junk drawer stuff and like a head pillow for an airplane and like a weird sculpture of hands. Like, what do I do with this? I found some yeah.
1: wild stuff last night, including a handwritten wedding guest list for the <gasps> wedding that never happened
3: <laughs>
1: ah! did you burn it i threw it out it was kind of wild oh i found all this like stuff from my ex i found this huge camping backpack in the back of a closet that he had clearly forgotten to take with him your camping backpack now the trash's camping backpack now <laughs> Oh, I literally went, oh my God, do I, I mean, I have not spoken to this person in over a year yeah, don't. where I was literally like, oh my God, do I have to like tell him that I found this? And I was like, no way. And then I just <laughs> threw it <laughs> out.
2: <laughs> how do you even know what, how to throw things away? Like Mal and I are like umbrella broke outside our big umbrella. And it's like, do you just put a whole umbrella in the trash? How do you throw away a trash can?
1: I don't know. How do I throw away big stuff? I also don't know where to properly donate things to what. Places would want what stuff like and the the stress of that on top of moving is also
3: a lot. Yeah, it's a mess. I moved in September and I still have like six bags of things that I need to donate that are just sitting in my kitchen um, that I still haven't got donated yet and then also my kitchen sat still packed for about three months I believe I and mean, I just <laughs> I was just like I don't have time to go through all this and so I just hired a task rabbit to come and they did it and took it off my plate and it Ooh. made the biggest piece of mind that I've ever wow. had yeah that. well that's
2: the thing it's so expensive like Mal and I you know we're like okay we got the the cabin and then it's so expensive to furnish it Mm -hmm. it's like oh we can't just live here where it's empty you have to buy a bed you have to buy a mattress you have to buy a lot of it we've done secondhand like we went you know and got like thrifting like secondhand furniture and secondhand like lamps and stuff which have been really cool because there's a lot of antiques up where we are so we've like been trying to get antique stuff which is fun but and, and less expensive than like, you know, a, a huge thing from Ikea or whatever and probably more sustainable. But it's like then, you know, getting it to the house, strapping it to the car, like building it. Oh, my God. Mal and I putting together a futon together and we didn't kill each other. I mean, <clears throat> that's an accomplishment. Yeah. Because especially moving, you're going to with a partner, you you start fighting.
1: Well, right. So we're merging two households at the same time, which is a lot. Yeah. But I've had to I had to really talk with my therapist about the fact that, like, for me, you know, my home is very much my safe space. It's very much the environment that I control. It's where my OCD pops up its head Mm -hmm. way more than anywhere else. And historically, when I've moved, I have like. That day, everything is unpacked and ready to go, or like it, within yeah. within a day or two, everything is good to go. And I have to recognize that, like, because like we have to like build out some storage at the new house, and because I'm merging John's stuff with my stuff, and I'm gonna have knee surgery just a few days after the move, I have to like be okay with the fact that it will not all be done right away
0: mm-hmm. yeah. because I've
1: never done that mm-hmm. before. I've never not unpacked and moved in immediately, and so I've literally been like. Having talks with my brain to prepare it for the fact that it's going to be incredibly disappointed. Yeah. where <laughs> I've had to be like, it won't be unpacked. This parts maybe we can prioritize unpacking.
2: These parts, mm-hmm. we cannot unpack. And that's going to be okay.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And it's going to take time for it to look how you want it to look. It's going to take time to put the artwork up. It's going to take time to find out, you know, what we want. I mean, wait, waiting for uh, a new couch to get delivered was a whole whole thing. And then we didn't have a couch for like a month. So we're just like sitting on the floor. And I was like, I hate this house. I hate it. And then, you know, it takes time to be lived in.
3: I'm still waiting on my kitchen table to get here. It just keeps getting pushed because of like. COVID stuff so
2: and I still don't
3: feel like I'm moved in yet even though I've been yeah. here since September how do you make a house a home baby
1: <laughs> does that like unnerve you do you feel like unsettled in your house because it doesn't feel fully moved in yet
3: a little bit like I'll walk into my kitchen and I think that's part of the reason I haven't even got rid of the donation stuff because that's Aww. where the table stuff will go like that's where my table will go and I'm like it, what's Aww. the point it can
2: sit here cause there's no table here. Yeah. And then when the table gets here, you'll feel complete spiritually. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> you'll look at it and you'll go namaste. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I was living in very small apartments before I moved into this house. And so I had to, you know, like you were saying, buy a bunch of furniture and stuff. And so that was it was I knew how much it cost because I put together a budget. But then I was just like, I've spent this much money on furniture. <laughs> it just gets yeah. wild.
1: I had to like buy an outdoor shed yesterday or order one. And I was like, Mm. I do these come with floors. I don't know
2: anything about outdoor sheds. I've only lived in apartments. (laughs) They're expensive. Yeah. We were trying to get one for the cabin and it's like too much money. We have a shed. Oh, we have a beautiful shed, but it used to have electricity. And then when they came to put the septic tank in, they cut the electricity. So now what is this? Just a box. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) what do we rate this episode? (laughs) I will rate it 47 out of 41 healing touches. Ooh. I will rate it 5 out of 4. Man, healing brokenness, I guess. Mm. We had a theme of healing in this episode. Very
3: much so. And I'll give it 30 out of 22 open doors where sex is being had.
2: Oh, God. <laughs> well, thank you, Dolly <laughs> Josette, for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn, produced by Melissa D. Montz, edited by Coco Lorenz, executive produced by Brett Bohm, Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Tracy Soren.
1: Brenton Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for
2: Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. Check out video clips of our podcasts on YouTube at youtube.com slash forever dog or youtube.com slash just between us show.
1: And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news.
2: Also at Gabby Road at She Is Not Melissa and at Allison Raskin all on Instagram. Also at JBU Podcast on Instagram. We never say that. Okay, bye. Bye.
0: FOREVER! DOG!